You know that already impressive roster of big dogs in the National Football League? Well, it just keeps growing, and let's celebrate it here in the Doghouse on the Believe Network. Welcome back to the Doghouse with your host, David Murray. And no, I am not podcasting from Jones County at the moment. And that's too bad, because it's a fine day for a fellow free state man. Charles Cross just became the county's newest millionaire and the latest Bulldog draft pick. Okay, sorry, latest doesn't fit. Charles Cross went very early in the draft, in the first round, of course. Yep, from Laurel to Seattle by way of Startwell. Or last night, it was from the sip to the strip, if you want to have it that way, to become the 15th Mississippi State product to score first-round selection and the second offensive lineman. Uh, Derek Sherrod, of course, was the other back in 2011. Oh, and by the way, he's the highest overall selected Bulldog since, wow, since 1983 when Michael Haddock's running back went number eight. Uh, 40 years since uh, top 10? Wow. Well, it was a lucky number nine for Charles Cross, and not a soul was surprised when he left the draft board so soon. In fact, uh, there were some projections back in, oh, let's say, what, January or so, that uh, he might even go as high as number one in this year's draft. Well, that wasn't going to happen, even in a year which was rather light on elite quarterbacks and receivers and the like. But still, just to have him mentioned in that kind of rare air was a reflection of the stock that uh, draft analysts were putting in Cross. As it turned out, um, he went number nine, and that follows up on a career track, which really he was projected for the first round since well before his junior season even began, much less his December declaration. The only uncertainty was just how high he would finish up. Number nine was acceptable. Uh, and he was the third tackle taken. Now, that was probably the bigger question. Uh, would the guys from North Carolina State and Alabama go ahead of him? As it turned out, both did, barely. However, uh, you watch some of the uh, NFL draft analysts speaking, and it may be more a factor that Charles is only a two-year starter in college and declaring for the draft early. His best years are obviously still ahead of him because he doesn't turn 22 until late November. So his best years absolutely are in front of him as far as that goes. But he still did enough during his two seasons at Mississippi State that he played himself a number one pick and a top ten pick at that. Now, admittedly, there is a marked difference in draft slot contracts, even from, say, number three to number nine. Uh, But one suspects Charles Cross will be just fine with his initial deal. Let me tell you, that shiny suit... He was wearing last night, that would purchase a few pine wood acres back where we come from. It looks sharp on Charles, though, and we'll remember him more for his deeds in maroon and white. Uh, and by the way, I don't think he'll have a problem paying for that, too, because uh, three seasons from now, after establishing himself, the big money is going to be there for him when he finishes up his rookie contract. Okay, confession time. I do not know enough or much anything about Seattle. Uh, I do know that A.J. Wright is no longer there, and I do know that they traded away their quarterback, so the new guy in town is going to be counting on guys like Charles Cross to recover his backside. Hang on, let me check. Yeah, okay. Both uh, the quarterbacks, former Missouri guy Drew Locke, irony there, and Washington Husky Jacob Eason, they are right-handers. So they'll need a big old dog covering the left end of that line, And after grading out as the SEC's most efficient pass blocker, according to Pro Football Focus last year, Cross fits that bill. 
I have no concerns about him developing his run blocking because of his age. And hey, maybe think about this. Charles could get it to line up eventually beside another Mississippi State alumnus because Gabe Jackson, who began his career with the Oakland, i.e. Las Vegas Raiders, is now in his second camp with the Seabirds. Now, wouldn't that be fun? I, I would tune in, and I'm not the biggest NFL fan out there, but to see two dogs beside each other on, say, the left side of the line, that would be must-see TV, at least uh, if you like blocking. And who doesn't? Who doesn't like blocking? We'll, we'll talk more about this in a moment, but Mississippi State is certainly making its impression in pro ball the last decade or so with the linemen, offensive and defensive alike, that they're sending on to the NFL. Uh, as for his coach, yeah, Mike Leach made the trip to the Strip. You know, it's kind of fascinating how a few weeks back, uh, a handful of fans on our message boards interpreted, misinterpreted, probably intentionally, given their records, uh, the coach's comment about he was uncertain of his own plans for draft week. You know, back when there was this minor matter of spring football camp demanding his attention. Well, practices ended up Tuesday, and two days later, Leach and Cross, along with his line coach Mason Miller and recruiting staff members Rod Gibson and Dave Emmerich, among others, they were on their way to Las Vegas for the show, the draft show. The coach had reason for his own satisfaction last night because Cross is the fourth first-round draft pick that Mike Leach has coached, and by my informal counting, the 30th total draft pick from the three programs he has operated. Now, we can be pretty confident that number 31 is on the way in the next two days, hopefully the next one day for a cornerback, Martin Emerson. Either way, already a Bulldog has been drafted for, let's see, the 13th straight spring now. In this case, another big Bulldog, like I mentioned. Uh, Mississippi State ought to have quite the name now for sending linemen to the league. Defensive and offensive linemen, that is. You want muscle? Come shop at Mississippi State these dog days. Another point to cross his draft status related to Leach. Remember, if you dare, those uh, 2020 concerns about how Bulldog blockers recruited for spread-type systems would transition to the air raid protection schemes. Well, especially after missing that first spring with Leach, and I'll always believe the blocking was the position area hurt most by having no introductory camp. That includes even the quarterbacks. I truly believe that lack of time in those 15 spring practices and scrimmages lost that could not be made up in summer and preseason, and it showed in pass protection issues during that first season 2020, as did obviously having an immobile quarterback for a few games as well. Yeah, and we had the grossly overblown, quote, wide splits furor, which was supposed to explain some of those protection issues that year, not least out on the left end, where, to be completely fair, Cross had to learn on the job. Uh, funny, there wasn't much of that such talk in 21 overall, certainly not about Charles as he thrived in the air raid. I bring this up because, as Mike Leach has often noted, air raid concepts have been incorporated increasingly into the NFL, even more so than spread schemes. So just maybe Charles Cross has a leg up, or more accurately, a first step head start on honing professional protection skills. Eh, it's just a thought. As far as thinking about the rest of the draft, it continues this Friday evening, and we're going to try to follow it. Um, Martin Emerson, of course, we're hoping that he gets a second-day call. Most projections have him 
probably somewhere mid to late third round, certainly early in the fourth round. And by my count, that would be the 40th Bulldog drafted since the 2010 season. Um, I could run out an average of what those draft positions are. I think it's somewhere in the mid threes. But that's been uh, kind of dragged down the last couple of years because State just didn't pull off too many draft picks in the high rounds since that fabulous class of 2019 when you sent three guys out there. So uh, last year, State had two guys drafted. Uh, see Marquis Spencer and Kylan Hill both going in the seventh round. Uh, and, they, and they have their chance at pro ball, obviously getting that. But they more to our point, we care about the extended Mississippi State's years of having drafted dogs. Well, this year it continues. We're hoping for Emerson. And, you know, Makai Polk still has an outside shot based on his uh, performance at the Combine. I, among others, were a little bit surprised he even got invited to the Combine because they go more for pure athleticism. And as his 40-yard dash time in Indianapolis showed, Polk isn't the fastest receiver out there. But his route running, his physical style, I think that gives him a good shot to be picked up by a club that's looking for that type of possession receiver in the NFL because you need someone who can handle the physical pressures of dealing with those cornerbacks and safeties. Hopefully Polk makes it because that would give State yet another dog headed to a professional camp. And certainly there should be some free agent signings as well. Uh, I think more so will be coming next year off the 2022 team and the 23 draft. But that's a year from now. As of right now, we're celebrating Mississippi State and Charles Cross, top 10, first round. You got to love it for a kid from the free state, and I certainly do. And uh, I'll say this, the tax base of my home county just improved considerably. Anyway, draft goes on tonight, and we're going to try to follow it, and I say try, because the Diamond Dogs are back in business, weather permitting, that is, and the latest forecast I was able to check before recording this showed that the rain should be there all Friday morning in Columbia, and a wide evening window to get game one in. Saturday should be pretty clear, and Sunday is definitely so, with game times 6, 2, and 2. I mentioned weather... Uh, not out of just casual interest, but it's serious because Mississippi State needs to play the all three games. Let me rephrase that. Mississippi State needs to play and win all three games this weekend. We never, ever like to say a team must sweep unless it's a mathematical deal. Well, even though there are 12 SEC games left, the math is definitely pointing to the fact that State's got to score a lot of wins very fast. Missouri is your best alternative at the moment to get some real momentum going. Okay, that's not quite fair because when you've won series against Auburn and Ole Miss, you have some. Uh, Tuesday night, eh, frustrating in Pearl. Maybe they could have made some better pitching decisions in that regard, but they were not going to burn any weekend arms because, bluntly, the SEC season is all that matters at this point. In fact, I was looking at the RPI of some of the teams that State has remaining on the non-conference schedule. If it weren't for the fact that they need as many W's as they get, I would almost advise not playing Sanford and North Alabama because, as best I recall, their RPI figures are somewhere like 174 and 275 as of Thursday afternoon. What's Mississippi State's RPI? Well, as of Thursday, it was 81. 
That's down five spots after losing to Ole Miss on Tuesday night. They were up to 76. Neither is a very comfortable number, but obviously 70s beats the heck out of being in the 80s. And being in the 60s beats the ever-loving heck out of being in the 70s. And if State can pull off the sweep this week, they should jump into the 60s. That's because Missouri is now rated at number 41 in the NCAA's official RPI. That's a little disappointing, too, because uh, not so long ago, they were certainly in the mid-20s, and uh, going into the weekend, they were 38. And that was based more, as we've said frequently, on their strength of schedule more than their record, because the Tigers are only 5-13 SEC. But they are dangerous. We talked early in the week about the fact that State can't take this series for granted. Well, they can't take any series for granted, win or lose, but especially not Missouri. Now, if Coach Chris Lamonis needs a reminder for these Bulldogs, all he needs to do is point to last year. You remember last year, don't you? Unless the healing powers of time have eased it from our memories, that was the series that uh, ruined Mississippi State's chance to win the SEC championship last year. Now, in the big picture, not getting that trophy presented to them in Hoover was um, easy to forget when you're holding the great big trophy that you can only win in Omaha. Still, that Missouri weekend on Duty Noble Field was probably as frustrating as anything that happened all the 21 season, and I include weekends like the sweeping by Arkansas or the lost series at Vanderbilt, because Missouri was a bad team last year. Mississippi State was a good team last year. It just showed that you can't take these things for granted because after squeaking out a one-run win on Friday night, the dogs lost a one-run game on Saturday and were completely blown out on Sunday, which had quite a few of us thinking national seed chances were totally over along with the SEC tournament. Well, State it did uh, obviously get back in the national seed picture. They had some work to do. They had to sweep Alabama to do it. But anyway, that's a reminder. State needs to not just win this series, they need to sweep this series. Again, we hate saying that, but that's the blunt truth at this moment, given the state of the RPI. And keep in mind, too, that at 8 and 10 SEC, the Bulldogs are not at all locks for Hoover this year. They are in ninth place, and there's a 14-pack in 10th place that are two games behind, but it only takes one weekend to turn everything inside out. As Lamonis was talking about Monday evening on his call-in show, uh, besides the fact that Tennessee is just about runoff from everybody else, uh, to some extent Arkansas is there, but State is only a handful of wins behind the Razorbacks for the Western Division. That's great. There are also a couple of losses from falling into the SEC West cellar, and that's not so great. Does that describe just how fragile this moment is and how absolutely vital it is for the Bulldogs to take care of their business in Columbia. Now, we were checking out the, the news from Mississippi State. Uh, they finally confirmed what we really suspected. Um, I thought there might be a chance of revising the rotation for this week simply because after a consecutive Thursday starting series, now you have a regular weekend, and that gave you an extra rest day to decide what to do with some guys. Uh, pitch counts should not be a factor in who goes when this weekend. However, Coach Scott Foxhall will stick with the same rotation. Brandon Smith, right-hander, will go on uh, Friday night against Tony Newbeck, who's a lefty and a freshman and a good one. Uh, then uh, on Saturday, Preston Johnson will get the job, and he goes against a right-hander as well, Spencer Miles, a guy that we've seen before, a junior with the Tigers. Sunday, Cade Smith, right-hander, 
Again, all right at side rotation for the Bulldogs against uh, Mr. TBA for the Tigers. Uh, Missouri obviously has had a few pitching issues there. Uh, they think they know who would be their third guy at this point, but um, as, as Lamonis was talking about on Monday night, it's probably a kid named Newbeck at this point. No, I'm sorry, not Newbeck. Uh, he's already listed to go early. They've seen some of these people, but they're just it'll be kind of a wait and see because Missouri is in a all-hands-on-deck. If they have to put a starter in relief on Friday night because they're battling for their lives in the tournament-wise, they will do it. They will do whatever it takes. Uh, Mississippi State needs to have the same sort of mindset as far as winning a series, but not any particular one game. Now, they were able to save a couple of guys in the midweek, so the pitching staff is probably about as strong as it can be going into this weekend. Although you would like to have guys like Cam Tuller and Mikey Tepper have thrown fewer pitches Tuesday night. That's just how the game broke down. At the very least, you feel better about their contribution potential down the rest of the season stretch, especially once you're not playing the really good teams in midweek or, soon enough, no teams in the midweek. But they'll stick with the same rotation as far as that goes. And uh, the offensive-wise, well... Nothing's really changed. Uh, State didn't hit anything out in Pearl. Uh, a little frustrating there. They came by. I was not able to make the game myself, but listening to Jim Ellis' description. And yes, you and I, who have listened to Jim all these years, sometimes you can get a little enthusiastic about these fly balls. But when he really thought two of those drives were out of the park, only to be caught at the fence, I will take his word for it that they were well struck balls. But that's what this batting order's been doing. They've been striking the ball pretty well as far as power is concerned in recent weeks. Uh, as we talked about on Monday, this team is on track to smash the season home run record and to do it in the regular season, no less, without even having to play tournament time. By our calculations, they could do it not just during the Tennessee game weekend, but uh, perhaps even as early as game one of that series. And we've also talked about how Coach Lamonis and Jake Gautreau enjoy the home runs. They want to see more RBI doubles, more gap power. They want to see more RBIs in the clutch situations, that just whatever contact it takes to score runs instead of having to rely on the home run because eventually that game, that weekend, maybe even that month comes when those long flies aren't quite so long. It just happens in the game of baseball. Then again, we thought the same thing for a few months already, and each week, here come these big dogs just swatting balls out whatever park they're in. Uh, yes, Como is a fair bit bigger than Oxford was. Maybe not quite due to noble specifications, but still, uh, it will take a little bit more to get the ball out, and we have no idea what the wind factor is going to be. Uh, we'll let Ron Polk describe that on the radio broadcast as soon as it starts this evening. As uh, far as some uh, Diamond Dog individual facts, um, of course, Brad Cumbest, who was the big hero in the Ole Miss series, he's leading the team now with a 331 batting average and was the SEC's player of the week on Monday after hitting 538 with two homers and two doubles in the series at Oxford. Great series for Mule, and you just love to see the guy rounding into form. And to me still, the fact that he hit a breaking ball outside one of those pitches that has bedeviled him most of this season just shows that he is maturing as a hitter. Speaking of maturing, there's a guy at the other end of the age scale in Hunter Hines. When a kid is leading your team with 13 home runs on the season already, that's second best among the 
all freshmen in the nation this season, which is saying a lot for the kid. Uh, the last time you saw this many home runs by a Bulldog rookie, let's see, let me think, what was that name? Uh, 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 Palmero, yeah, Rafael Palmero. That's a long time back, but that tells you the impact that Hunter Hines is now having as he's rounding into form. Of course, R.J. Yeager, Kellum Clark, and uh, Cameron James, they can swat the ball out at any point. Luke Hancock and Mr. Dependable in Clutch Situations for contact. The order, it's, it, it's, <laughs> it's so tantalizing because it's so close to being there all the time. And then you have those little hiccups, an inning or two where you get the guys on base and you just don't finish moving them around and driving them in. That's still bedeviling the dogs in some situations because they had their chances to do some damage against the Rebels in round four the other night. Unfortunately, it didn't count in the SEC standings. Unfortunately, it did count in the RPI standings, which at this point matters a heck of a lot more, I fear. Uh, Logan Tanner enters the series on 11-game reached base streak, which is his second longest of the season. And over the last five games, he is at 600 on-base percentage. Will Jake Gotro do anything with the batting order again? You've seen him shuffle from week to week. He doesn't tie himself down to any particular order. He just goes with what he thinks is going to work best. And with Missouri coming with a lefty on the first night, maybe there'll be some changes in how they work this. But we'll only know when the lineup card is presented and announced on radio broadcast this evening from Missouri. So the Diamond Dogs, the pressure's on. Also, you're coming up uh, with series against Florida, which, let's see, the last time I checked was number 12 in the RPA. That could have changed a little bit uh, going into Friday. Uh, Texas A&M was sneaking into the top 20 as well. The RPI opportunities are there for the Bulldogs, but they've got to win the games. Uh, playing number one Tennessee is going to raise your RPI regardless. But these next nine games, yes, we're, we're going to rule out the Tennessee series just for now. Uh, Nobody knows what can happen because even the hottest team can fall apart at the end of the season. Boy, have I seen that happen in this program years before. But you look at these upcoming nine games against Missouri, against Florida, against Texas A&M. Those are teams that State needs to take out of those nine. I honestly believe they have to take a bare minimum of six games. They need to sweep Missouri and then split somehow, some way, those others. Even better, because Florida's had their troubles and may be in vulnerable position coming to Startville, you can pull off a win that series. Then all of a sudden you're thinking, you're pretty well locked in for Hoover. Uh, but locking into Hoover is not the ultimate goal, because then you want to go there with certainly more than 13 wins. You want to go there with at least 14, and even better, 15. Then you feel like your NCAA bid is secure, and all you're doing at Hoover is trying to win some games, well, first off, win one game because you're going to be playing on Tuesday in the single elimination round. You're trying to go there and win to pad your, your RPI just a little bit more to secure the best seeding possible. Now, maybe there's only so much State can do with the seeding at this point because the strength of schedule is going to get a little better by who they play the rest of the way, but just not that much. They're going to be one of the poorer strength of schedules in the country, and sometimes you just can't help it. Uh, and I know that there was no thought that any of the SWAC teams they played or clubs like Princeton or Binghamton were going to do much for your RPI. But some other series have kind of disappointed in what those teams did. 
and even more so disappointed that State didn't sweep a few of those series as well, so the damage has been self-inflicted in that regard. But it's nothing the dogs can't undo in terms of a return to the NCAA tournament. First step, of course, being making the SEC tournament, take care of the business there, and then wait and see what the NCAA decides as far as their field of 64. Big weekend for the Diamond Dogs. And a big weekend for Bulldog football with the draft going on. Uh, spring practice is over. We hope to have some contacts with some coaches in coming weeks to kind of go over what they thought about camp. Uh, we requested a few interviews as well. We'll see how that works out because the coaches do tend to scatter once this spring evaluation period is done. Oh, yeah, they're still working because recruiting is taking priority at this point. And at some point, we're just going to have to address the chaos that is name, image, likeness, with Mississippi State of Mississippi trying to put some new laws in place for that to synchronize what's happening in the rest of the South. But chaos still reigns with NIL, uh, chaos with the incident of LA, with Mark Emmert stepping aside. Uh, I'm going to say this. Yes, he has been a problem as the director of the NCAA, but he is not the problem. The problem is simply the nature of the NCAA as an organization trying to govern every sort of program between Albany and Alabama just can't do it anymore. So that's something to address. Uh, and we haven't even talked about the transfer portal, which, uh, let's see, today was the last day for players to apply to it for eligibility uh, next year. Uh, of course, anyone who transfers within conference is going to have to sit out this coming year. So don't get panicky about any Bulldogs who decide to go play for certain SEC rivals. You won't have to face them until 23. You may never have to face them at all because there's a reason some of these guys are leaving at this point. And we'll discuss that in our post-spring practice wrap-up. Until then, let's watch the rest of the draft these next two days. More so, let's watch the Diamond Dogs from Columbia. And let's get ready for a wrap-up of the weekend coming once it's over here in the doghouse. I'm your host, David Murray. Good to talk to you again on the Blue.